Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Come on back in, folks. Come on back in. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm the associate pastor here. If I haven't met you, I'm looking forward to meeting you hopefully soon. I get the honor and privilege of preaching today. Woohoo! And on all other things, then, how to submit to government. Thank you, Pastor Dan. Thank you. Just before tax time, too. Just before tax time. We're going we're gonna to be in Romans chapter 13. Uh, so if you'd like to grab a Bible, uh, there, if you have one, great. Uh, if you don't, there are some red Bibles in the, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that. That's a gift to you from Jacob Swell. Uh, and if you do own a Bible and you just need to borrow it, that's great too. Uh, you can also turn in a device and I won't think less of you for opening up your phone or iPad or whatever to Romans 13 as well. Very good. If, you've, if you have a bulletin, you'll see I did put some, whoa, some uh, fill-in-the-blanks in there. Um, I had in mind for the younger uh, listeners, but uh, some older listeners uh, might enjoy fill-in-the-blanks too. So um, either way, they're there if you want to use them. Come on in, folks. So we're going to be in Romans 13. I think all the pa- there's all the page numbers. Uh, 948, red Bible, large print, uh, blue Bible, 1127, and the children's Bibles, uh, 1232. Okay. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read uh, this passage and then uh, pray, and then we're going we're gonna to enter into uh, a time of uh, hearing God's word preached to us. Okay, so Romans 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. 
Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. I'm going to read the very beginning of the very next verse. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we humbly submit ourselves to your word now. And we ask, Lord, by your spirit, grant us uh, the capacity to understand your word. Grant us hearts that are ready to receive your word. Convict us, Lord. Challenge us. Encourage us and remind us of your wonderful sovereign grace. Remind us, Lord, that you are a God who has come to rescue us for the sake of your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Victoria Barnett of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum writes these words. She writes, in October 1940, Dietrich Bonhoeffer began work as an agent for military intelligence. That's, that's of the German uh, Third Reich supposedly using his ecumenical context to help the cause of the Reich. In reality, he used his contacts to spread information about the resistance movement. And she goes on and talks about some examples of that, trips and, and, and so forth, trying to gain foreign support for the German resistance in 1941-1942. In 1943 of April, uh, April of 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested and she writes, he was charged with conspiring to rescue Jews, of using his travels abroad for non-intelligence matters, and of misusing his intelligence position to keeping confessing church pastors, uh, that was the kind of pastor that he was, out of the military and for his own ecumenical work. The report of the Gestapo on Bonhoeffer described him as completely in the opposition about a year later, July 20, 1944, there was a failed attempt to assassinate Hitler, of which Bonhoeffer was greatly involved, he and, and some family members and close friends of their family. He's, he's still in prison, too. In October of 1944, Bonhoeffer, after realizing the extent of his involvement in resistance circles, was moved to the dreaded Gestapo prison in Berlin, in February 1945, he was taken to Buchen, Buchenwald, and then he was moved to the Flossenburg concentration camp, where on April 9th, he was hanged. Interestingly, she writes, the SS doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's death later recalled a man, and this was his words, the doctor's, devout, brave, and composed, 
I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. You see, not many of us, when we hear a story like this, would even think for a second that Bonhoeffer and the others with him were wrong in opposing and actively resisting the Nazi regime in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. Yet how are we to reconcile their behavior with what our passage says today, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. If you're like me, you hear this passage, you're probably thinking, okay, what's the exception, God? When is it okay to resist the government? When is it okay? At what grounds and how do I do it? Well, before we we answer these kinds of questions, let's get our bearings for a minute uh, and remember the context of where we are in Romans, okay? So Romans 12 begins this this new section, you might say, of, of... of building on the, the, uh, the, the indicative of who we are in Christ in chapters 1 through 11. All this that Christ has done, that we are, we are saved, we are justified by faith alone. Therefore, says Paul in Romans 12, 1, therefore there are certain realities about how we should live then. And in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so then he goes on to describe how do we relate to the, those around us. First he talks about how we relate to the church in Romans 12, 3 through 8. Use your gifts, he says. And then how do we relate to other Christians? Verses 9 through 13. Love one another genuinely. And then he says how do we relate to the rest of the world? Verses 14 to 21, and he says, live peaceably with all. And now chapter 13, it's, it's as if he's continuing this, this kind of uh, almost building out circles around us of how we are to relate to others around us, how we are to be Christians in a world that we are not really a part of, but we are a part of. And now he says, how are we to relate to the state or to the government? And his response is, be Subject or, or submissive to the governing authorities. So our roadmap today is, is this. And it's, it's kind of the headings in your bulletin. I want to talk about the reasons for subjection, the way of subjection, and the power to subject. So first, let's look at the reasons. What are the reasons Paul gives us to subject to the governing authorities? He says in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The first reason that I'm going to highlight that Paul gives is actually an assumption that he's making. It's the assumption that you find in the phrases from God and by God, and this is the, this is the assumption and this is the reason. Number one, ready? Got your pencils ready, kids and adults? I am a creature made by God. That's reason number one to subject. I am a creature made by God. If you miss this, you'll have a very hard time accepting what Paul is saying. In fact, if you miss this, that you are a creature made by a creator God, you're going to have a hard time accepting anything the Bible says. Why do I say this? 
Well, think of it like this. If God is the creator and I am the creature, that means that I am not God. Duh. I'm not in charge. I am not the captain of my destiny. I'm not the Lord of my fate. I'm not the decider of my future. I am not in control if I am not God, if I've been created by someone else. And if God is the creator and I am his creature, then I am under his authority. All the problems in the world, all of the problems in the world, individually, as a society, all around arise because we get this wrong. We mix up the creature-creator distinction. Paul's already commented on this in Romans 1. In verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then he goes on and explains why in verse 25. Because, he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You see, when we fail to acknowledge that God is the creator and we are the creature, we fail to submit to his authority. And when we fail to submit to his authority, we are not able to accept what he tells us in his word. Why would we? Imagine with me for a minute that I have this lawnmower, which I have, and it breaks, which it does. And I'm trying to fix it, you know, and I'm working on it. And up walks someone who says, hey, I think I got a, a better idea for you how to fix that. Do this, do that. It's going to run a lot better. Oh, and I say, just, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And I keep going, and it keeps breaking. The guy says again, hey, I got a, I got a better idea for you here. Try this. No, no, I got it figured out. Breaks again. He says a third time, try this. And then he adds, I made the thing. I built it. You see, we get it when we hear that, don't we? Oh, of course the guy who built the lawnmower knows how to fix the lawnmower. And yet, we're so quick to forget and acknowledge that God made us. When we fail to acknowledge that we are creatures made by a creator God, we believe a lie that says, I know better. I know best. Don't we? That's what happens. The Bible teaches us that we are creatures made by God in his image, and therefore, as his creation, we are under his authority. Part of how God executes his authority in this world is through human institutions like governments. And this leads to the second reason for subjection. Number two, God has instituted every earthly authority. He says... In verses 1 and 2, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what? What God has appointed. We, we, we read this earlier in the service. Daniel 2 highlights this. Now, bear in mind, this is spoken of a king who is the king who carried off the Israelites into exile. Not a Christian, not a believer. And this is spoken and it says, He, God, changes times and seasons. This is Daniel verse tw uh, 2 verse 21 if, you, if you're taking notes. He, God, removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Okay, so you're probably thinking, okay, wait a minute. 
Those authorities that exist have been instituted by God or appointed by God or ordered by God. You could say all, all, all ways you can interchange that, that word instituted. Does this include Hitler? Does this include Stalin? Does this include Saddam Hussein? Does this include Kim Jong-un? You see, the answer, whether we like it or not, is yes. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted or ordered or appointed by God. Consider this this conversation as as an example. It's a conversation uh, that Jesus has with Pilate. You know, he's been arrested, he's on trial. And just before Pilate is about to hand him over to be crucified, Pilate's trying to clear his conscience here. He's going, something's not right here. And Pilate says this, John chapter 19. says he enters in, he's frustrated because the crowds are going, you know, hand him over to us, crucify him. And Pilate's going, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. So he goes back into Jesus and he says, this is John 19, 9, where are you from? Jesus doesn't give him an answer. So Pilate says, you're not going to speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Love this part. Jesus answers, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Did God institute Pilate? Yes. Did God institute all the maniacal dictators throughout all of history? Yes. Does this mean that God is responsible for the wicked, evil governments and authorities that exist? No. It cannot mean that. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness. Psalm 145.17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. This is hard for us. This is, our pea brains have a hard time getting this. Although God has sovereignly instituted or ordered every governing authority, he is not and cannot be responsible for the choices these authorities make to not fulfill their God-given purpose for governing. Here's an example from baseball. Anyone like baseball? Yeah. Now, how many of you like the St. Louis Cardinals? Yes. I'm staying alone. Okay. I think we did. We took the series two games out of three, right, Tim? Yes. Uh, anyway, let's say, for example, here you go, here you go. The Cardinals owner, and what they do is they hire or institute or appoint a manager. Now, the Cardinals owner has instituted Mike Matheny as the manager of the team. The owner, though, is not responsible when Mike Matheny doesn't take Adam Wainwright out of the game because he's not pitching well on Thursday night, which he didn't do. And we lost. The owner's not responsible for Matheny's bad choice. Now, sure, people are going to come complain to him. Oh, I can't believe. But Matheny has to own up. He's the one who made the call. He has to fully bear the responsibility for the choice he made and the call he made in that game and how he governed the game. Here's the point. No illustration's perfect, by the way. But the point is this, although the government may not choose to honor God's will, the fact remains God has instituted every earthly authority. 
And generally speaking, in most cases, I hope to get, you know, I hope to answer some of these questions, but generally speaking, in most cases, this means that resistance to the government is resistance to God. A few years ago, I was driving in my uh, car through the little town in Illinois that we used to live in, and um, came to this intersection. It was right next to the old uh, skate rink in, in Anna, Illinois, where we lived. And it was a T. You know, I come, right, I come up to the T, and then I, I always went to the right. Now, I can't tell you a hundred times that I've taken this turn, and I think I just kind of roll right. Th- I, never, I never stop. I just kind of give the glance over. I just keep on going, right? Anybody else done things like this? You know, there's a big red stop sign there, and it's an intersection. So one day, I'm just going about. I'm probably running late, you know, as usual, to the grocery store or something to pick up something on the way home, you know. And I'm going. I roll right through. Police lights are right behind me. Here it comes. Pulls me over. Now, you know, I think I've got it figured out. I'm like, I, I, oh, what, what's wrong, officer? Uh, you, you didn't stop. And then I, you didn't look. You just went. I said, what do you mean I didn't look? There was, there was no one over there. He said, uh, if you looked, how come you didn't see me sitting right there? Resistance, right? Resistance. In God's great humor, I had to go to the courthouse to pay the ticket, and the, uh, the clerk that helped me happened to be the church's choir director. <laughs> the the uh, district attorney was also a member of our church, and she said, you want me just to send it up to Tyler so he can take care of it for it? No, I need to pay my fine. I need to pay my fine. <laughs> Paul gives us a, another reason here to subject ourselves to authorities, and, and he says it in verse 2. He says, those who resist will incur judgment. And here it is, number three, if you're, if you're writing things down. Resistance to earthly authorities incurs judgment and wrath. We, we hear the word resistance, and I think we want to think that it means in some way that I'm, I'm actually like speaking out against someone, like, like me speaking out against that officer. Well, no, officer, I, you know, no one was coming. Why does it matter, you know? And then I went home and complained to my wife probably for an hour about, well, I don't understand this law. I mean, nobody's coming. Why do I need to stop? I looked, you know. Resistance, in, in fact, though, is any time we oppose in our hearts, in our minds, or actually in, in, in outward actions, the law or the government. Anytime we go against, and it doesn't have to be just outward. Remember, Jesus says this. It's not just about what you do on the outside. It's about what's going on inside your heart. Anytime we contradict the law, it's regulations. So therefore, I'm resisting the authorities when I, here's some examples, when I do not come to a complete and full stop before making a right turn, when I speed on the way to church this morning, when I take outside food and candy into the movie theater right by the sign where the owners have said, do not bring this into my establishment. I'm opposing, I'm resisting the authorities. When I steal cable TV from my neighbor, or maybe I share my Netflix password with everyone and their sister, and everyone's borrowing that Netflix account. Anyone else do that around here? Yeah. It's on your conscience. When I lie about my age to get the senior discount at McDonald's, didn't work. (laughs) I, I haven't done that. I have not done that. 
my father-in-law turned gray when he was like 38, and they just started giving him the, the, the discount. He said, no, I'm not. And after all, he stopped arguing because they just, no, no, sir, it's okay. It's okay. They felt bad, you know, like he was, ah, it's, no, I don't. Maybe, maybe uh, tax time's coming up, right? Maybe uh, we resist authorities when we adjust the facts and figures just a little bit to our advantage. Paul says this, I will incur judgment and wrath because of my resistance. Okay, illustration. Let's say Pastor Dan and I are at Chuck E. Cheese. Around here, we call that Tuesdays. Pastor Dan is playing whack-a-mole, and he keeps winning all the tickets because he's, he's just he's very good at whack-a-mole. He's talented at whack-a-mole. I, however, am terrible at this game. My eight-year-old son and my three-year-old son are better at this than I am, but I'm terrible. So I'm angry. I have no tickets to buy prizes. And Pastor Dan just walked up and bought the giant stuffed monkey that I had my eye on. So now I go on a rampage. I smash the counter. I throw pizza across the room. Chuck E. Cheese, the, the big stuffed guy, I punch him in the face. I finally take and eat all, all the Tootsie Rolls from behind the counter, and then I pass out. When I wake up, I'm handcuffed in a police squad car on my way to the Brown County Jail to spend the night. What happened? Because of my behavior, because of my resistance, I incurred the judgment and wrath of the government. That's an example of judgment and wrath. It's punishment. When we fail to uphold the laws and regulations of the society in which we live, whether it be speeding or something far worse, we are in fact resisting the governing authorities God has placed over us. And resistance to the authorities, according to Paul, incurs judgment and wrath of those authorities. Now, does that mean that every time I resist the authority that I'm going to incur the wrath right then? No. Does it mean that? Does it even mean that every act of resistance is going to incur some sort of judgment or wrath from the earthly authorities? No. What this means is that when I resist the authorities, I'm opening myself up to the potential judgment and wrath of those earthly authorities. Paul tells us why this is the case, okay? He says, for rulers, verse 3, are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now there's a whole host of things in this passage that speaks to a whole lot of different people. There's a whole lot of things in here that speak to those who govern. What is the purpose of government? Although Paul's not trying to make a, a, you know, try to come out with a systematic theology of government and the purpose of it, but he certainly speaks to it here. And I encourage anyone in here who's in some sort of, of governing uh, type position, whether it's hired or appointed or elected, whether you're a teacher or, or you're uh, an elected official, read this and think about what is my purpose for being in an authority position. Parents, Read this and think about what is, it, what is it that this says to me for why I'm in a position of authority. I don't have time to get into it right now. That's why I'm trying to point this out. What I want to point out, though, is that the purpose of government is supposed to be for the good of the people whom they govern. For keeping order and peace, restraining wickedness, restraining evil. That's, the, that's supposed to be the purpose. That's, that's the nugget that I want you to get out of this. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, interestingly, wrote in the, con the Cost of Discipline about this passage. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you should know, he wrestled, wrestled for years before he even got involved with the plot to be a part of undoing the Nazi regime. It was not an easy decision for him. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I think I should go about it. No, no, no. He actually, they tried to send him to America so that they could protect him because they thought, your mind is too great. You got to get out of Germany because they're going to come after you. And he said, no, I got to be here. But he says this in The Cost of Discipline. He says, if only Christians will concentrate on perceiving what is good and on doing it as God commands, they can live without fear of the authorities. For what has a Christian to fear so long as he remains faithful to his Lord and does that which is good? He says, a little later, he says, it doesn't matter what others do. It matters what we do. Isn't that true? We get so worked up about everyone else. They're doing that. They're doing that. The government's keeping me from this. No, no. It matters what we do. And Paul's giving us clear instruction on how we are to relate to the state. And he summarizes it in verse 5. He says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, punishment worked out through the government, but also for the sake of conscience. This is the idea that we are, as his people, our conscience binds us to do his will. And part of his will, he's saying here, is that we are to be submissive to our authorities. Bonhoeffer goes on and he says that the Christian should receive praise from authority. If you're doing these good things, you should be praised from the authorities. But he says, if instead of praise you incur punishment and persecution, what fault is that of his? After all, he was not looking for praise when he did that which brought him punishment, nor did he, nor did he do good for fear of punishment. That's, we ought not to do these things because we're motivated. Well, if I don't do this, the government's going to come after me. We ought to do it because of our conscience that binds us to the Lord. We subject to our governing authorities because we are bound to do the will of God, not because we're afraid I might get a speeding ticket. Bonhoeffer goes on, he says, if you meet suffering instead of praise. And he's speaking because you, you may have a government that's got it all wrong. And if you meet suffering instead of praise, your conscience is still clear in the sight of God and you have nothing to fear. Because you know when all is said and done, he says, the sovereign power belongs to God and not to the state, which is only his servant, only his minister. So this is why Paul goes on to say, and here's reason number four. Owe no one anything but love. And he says in verse six, for because of this you pay taxes. You pay taxes for the authorities are ministers or are servants of God attending to this very thing. They are set up in a position to govern over us to keep peace and, and wealth, the welfare and, and to restrain evil and wickedness. And so therefore we pay taxes to support that. Now you're probably saying, okay, but what if the government is corrupt? Does anyone know of any government system in the entire history of, of humankind that was not corrupt? Does anyone know about the government uh, of the time when Paul writes this to the church in Rome? headed by Nero. We're going to talk in just a minute about what, what kind of stuff he did. 
And yet Paul says, verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Jesus said the same thing, remember? Give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. Jesus paid his taxes too. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. That's really what the IRS stands for, Internal Revenue Service. It's the revenue of the government. Respect to whom respect is owed. I think this is harder for us, honestly, than paying our taxes, to be quite honest. Honor to whom honor is owed. In verse 8, which ties the two sections together, owe no one anything except to love each other. We ought not to be in debt to those around us. Our only debt ought to be to love. So the question is this. How do we do this? How do we do this? What is the way of subjection? On the surface, we're hearing, don't resist authorities, but just comply. What if my government is corrupt? What if I'm asked to sin? What if I have to break the law to keep from sinning? What if keeping the law contributes to the destruction of others? What if my government isn't upholding the biblical purpose for government? Do I have a right to resist at that point? Or is the passage just saying, I have to submit and obey no matter what? Or you might be thinking, maybe Paul wrote this at a particularly peaceful time when the government was kind and good. This is the government that Paul uh, wrote, uh, the conditions that, to whom Paul wrote in Rome during the 50s and 60s. He wrote the, the letter to the church in Rome in around 57-ish. He's in prison. In 54, Nero came to power. Nero is the kind of guy uh, who was a, a maniacal dictator. He hated Christians. He blamed Christians for burning the city in, in 64, uh, Tacitus records this in his annals about what happened when Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of the city. It says he put them to death, and besides being put to death, they, the Christians, were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. Others set on fire to serve to illuminate the night when daylight failed. Nero's coming into power uh, when Paul writes this and the conditions for Christians are worsening in Rome. And what does Paul say? Be subject to your governing authorities for every institution has been appointed by God. Doesn't this, just, just a side note here, give us a subtle reminder that scripture is the inspired word of God? What human document would encourage subjection to a maniacal dictator who unjustly kills people? So how do we answer this tough question? Well, let's step back for just a moment and and, and consider the context of Scripture and, and ask the question, has anyone else in the Bible faced a situation where they were asked to do something that went against Scripture? The answer is yes. You can find in Daniel... A few cases of this with Daniel and his, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is funny, even in that, we acknowledge most often their names given to them by Babylon, but not their actual Jewish names, which right there is a sign of their subjecting to the governing authorities. Here's these Jewish men coming into uh, this place in exile, and they're given these new Babylonian names, and they say, okay, we'll subject to that. A little later in chapter 1, the, the king wants them, to, the, the, the chief of the eunuchs wants them to eat all the king's food, the food and the wine. And, and to this, 
Daniel and his friends say, we can't do that. It's going to defile us. And so they respectfully ask, can we abstain from the food and wine of the king's you know, table and just eat water and vegetables? Give it 10 days. Come back, and if, if we're really bad off, that's fine. Do what you need to do, meaning go ahead and kill us. And of course, if you know the story, they come back and they find out they're healthier, so then everyone else has to eat the vegetable water diet. Poor, poor guys. Daniel 3, the three friends are faced with the choice. Do they bow down to the, the golden image, you know, of Nebuchadnezzar? You know, everyone, Daniel 3.15, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This is Nebuchadnezzar, right? So in the very next verse, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Love this part. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they don't. You know how the story goes. They're thrown into the furnace God does save them. Daniel 6, the conspirators against uh, Daniel persuade the king to make a law that prohibits prayer to anyone but the king. Daniel 6.10, I love how how this is written. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, like he was waiting, he opened his house windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Talk about a protest, right? I'm going to pray to God. And what happens? He's thrown in the lion's den. God in his mercy saves him. One more example in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5. The apostles, Peter and the apostles are brought before the council. The council says this in verse 28. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you are, Uh, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That is Christ, his blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles famously answer in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. What can we learn from these situations? And and, and I'm going to kind of move a little quicker here through the last bit. We're through the, the bulk here. We just have a few more points here. What can we learn? The first thing is this. The way of subjection, the first thing is this. Biblical subjection does not mean universal, absolute obedience. It'll show up in a minute, I think. It does not mean universal, absolute obedience. The Christian conscience, above all else, is obligated to obey God. If you're faced with a tough situation where obedience to a particular law or regulation means disobedience to God, then the Christian is obligated and called to obey God. Notice in these cases, the men chose to obey God rather than men. Also notice the, the, the nature of the resistance. It had to do with the worship of God. It had to do with the proclamation of the gospel. In these cases, their conscience was bound first and foremost to seek the will of God above all else, which called them to resist the government in order to obey God. The second thing, biblical subjection means, however, if possible, as far, so far as it depends on you, to live peaceably with all. 
as far as it depends on you, if possible, submit to your authorities willfully, voluntarily, joyfully. Especially when we're not dealing with weighty matters like worship of God, pure worship of God. Don't ever avenge yourself. Vigilanteism, is that a word? I don't know. It's, it's not good. It's never okay. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. And how does God carry out his wrath in societies? It's through the government. And if the rulers and authorities are not upholding the law, carrying out their purpose, this doesn't give you reason to go do it. Rather, we are to pray for them. Rather, we are to respectfully speak up, get involved. We need more Christ-centered, grace-filled politicians. Get involved at a local level. Doesn't have to, you don't have to go for the moon and try to go for president. If possible, as far as depends on you, pay to all what is owed. Pay your taxes, friends. Every government was corrupt. Paul said, pay your taxes to the government of Nero. Knowing Nero was taking that money and doing horrible things with it. Your conscience can be clear. You can pay your taxes. I think even harder is to give honor and respect to leaders and officials, especially when you disagree with them. And I don't just mean you know, that you, you stand up for a flag or anything like that. What I mean is that in your heart, in your home, when you're speaking with your friends, you're respectful. Whoever the president is, past president, present president, respectful in how you speak about this man or woman. Third, biblical subjection means peaceful, respectful, Acceptance of consequences for choices. What do I mean by this? When our third son uh, was born, or actually when he was about to be born, my wife was in labor, and we were going to go to our midwife's house to have the baby, which was about um, 22 miles from our house, and I had to take a two-lane road to get there. Now, my wife kept saying to me, "Uh, I'm about to have the baby. We need to go. Uh, I'm in labor. And then it got to the point where she's like, okay, what are we doing? I'm like, okay, I think we got to get in the car. What did I do? I chose to go 95 miles an hour on a 55 mile an hour two-lane road with my flashers on honking my horn the whole time because I, I, didn't, I didn't want her to have that baby in the car. Now, I made a choice. I made a choice to willfully resist the authority's law of 55 miles an hour and I was ready to accept the consequence if I get pulled over and get a ticket and maybe thrown in jail I will, I will accept that consequence because my wife and this child are more important at this moment than, than, than that consequence to me I was resisting the government but it's a choice I made my conscience before God made that choice You notice in these examples of how Daniel and his friends and the apostles respond when they resist authorities. You don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay, we're not going to bow down. Let's make a break for it. What do they do? They say, king, we have no answer other than to say we're not going to do it. It says they were then bound and in their clothes taken. They peacefully, respectfully walked into that fiery furnace or were thrown into it. I'm not sure the guys who took them there burned up because it was seven times hotter than usual. 
Daniel peacefully, respectfully goes to the lion's den. He made a choice. The apostles go on preaching and rejoice when they are able to suffer for the name of Christ, but they made a choice and they were willing to accept the consequence for that choice. The last thing here, and I know, I know I'm, I'm short on time and I apologize. The last thing here is how are we going to do this? How are we going to willingly, peacefully, and respectfully submit to government? How are we going to do this, especially when all of us live under regimes, under governments, under you know, institutions that in some way or another are corrupt? Hebrews 12.3 says this. Wait for it. Wait. There it is. Consider him, that's Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider this, friends. Jesus subjected himself to the Father's plan of redemption. And he says multiple times, I didn't come here to do my own will. I came to do the will of the Father. You remember his prayer in Gethsemane. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from, me, pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus subjected himself to the Father's plan, to the Father's authoritative will. And in order to accomplish the Father's plan of redemption, what did Jesus have to do? Jesus had to voluntarily, joyfully, peacefully, and respectfully subject himself to the earthly government of his day. The conversation in Matthew 26, I love this one verse, it's verse 53. They've come with clubs and swords and torches, you know, like they're hunting the, the, big, the big ogre, Shrek, you know. Ah, oh, we're going to get you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Put your sword back into its place. Verse 53, do you not think that, or do you think I cannot appeal to the Father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? What's Jesus saying? I lay down my life voluntarily and willingly. I subject myself to you, Pharisees, to you, Pilate, to all of you sinners. I subject myself to this death Taking this punishment, I don't deserve. Why did he do this? Because he knew we deserved it. Though he was falsely accused and judged, he knew that we were justly accused and rightly deserved judgment and wrath, the judgment and wrath of God. Therefore, he subjected himself to the governing authorities. He submitted to their judgment so that the judgment against us might be lifted. And being found in human form, it says in Philippians, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient. Friends, if our Savior, our Lord and Savior subjected himself to the point of death, was forsaken by his Father, can't we also subject to the governing authorities? Consider him Jesus Christ, who submitted so that you might have eternal life. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And remember this, the last thought I'll leave you with. Read to the end of the Bible. Jesus wins. 
You might feel downtrodden. You might feel, uh, you might look around at the government and say, gosh, this is terrible. Read to the end, and we are told that all who are in Christ, it even says this in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. Consider him who submitted, and do not grow weary. Do not be faint-hearted, friends. Rather, let us submit with respect and submit with joyful hearts, because we have a king who is overall and a king who gloriously reigns. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you reign. And even when we don't see and understand how you're at work, Lord, you're at work. And you are the king. You have put all things under the subjection of Christ's feet. And Jesus, we praise you that even right now we know that you have ascended to the throne. You are sitting on it and reigning and ruling. And all the creatures in heaven are bowing down and saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and honor and dominion and authority for all time and now and forever. Amen.